Warning, warning, warning. There are a lot of spoilers in this episode for things that come up later. So if you don't want to hear what happens later in the series, bail out now and come back later. Hey everybody, this past week marked the 29th anniversary of Babylon 5. And so, in partly to celebrate, I found the conversation that Bobby Polite and I had at the 20th anniversary of Babylon 5, where we thought back to the things that we loved about the show so much years before there was ever any thought of doing an actual Babylon 5 regular podcast. So for now, enjoy this special episode, and Andy and I will be back next week at our regular time to begin Season 3. Thanks a bunch! The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. Bobby, you and I are the two biggest Babylon 5 fans that I know of, two with certain exceptions here and there. And so I thought it would be very appropriate and fitting for the two of us just to get together and reminisce a little bit about this show, about what we loved about it, what disappointed us about it, and kind of the impact that it had on us and on science fiction and entertainment in its five-year glorious run and then and then how it's lived on since then. So <laughs> Barely lived on since yeah, then. Yeah, it's been on, it's kind of, it's, it's been on <laughs> life support a few times, but... Um, First off, I usually, of course, ask how people came to something, but you and I were both separately in on Babylon 5 from the very beginning. So tell the listeners sort of what you thought at the very beginning when you first came to it. What impression did it make on you at the beginning and kind of, you know, what did you think about it? You know, I, that's funny. I've been, I've been knowing we were going to do this. I've been trying to remember the exact moment when I decided to watch mm-hmm. The pilot, you know, the gathering, um, and I don't recall how I actually learned about Babylon Five. Um, I didn't know who JMS was. I'd never heard of the man in my life, and I think I basically just started seeing advertisements for it, going, "Hey, that's not Star Trek. <laughs> Somebody's making a science fiction show in space. That's not Star Trek. <laughs> that's Star Trek." <laughs> and on top of that, it's got Tamlin Tamita. Yeah. What the heck? I'll watch it. <laughs> um, and and I can remember sitting down and watching the pilot, and you get this introduction in the pilot. You know, the pilot is not the it, – it is a pilot. It's kind of clunky in some places. It's got some weirdness to it. And I watched it and went, that was pretty good. I'll give this a shot. I hope they make a series out of this because I'd like to see something on television – that's different. That's new. That's that's not, you know, some other franchise that's continually going. And there's obviously some love behind this where they're trying to build a story. And this is not just uh, 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 somebody going, hey, we need a science fiction show to pull in people on Friday night, you know. Yeah. 
let's 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 do all the trite things we can do with science fiction in this thing. And plus, it was it was the beginning of a lot of of you know these shows that that were syndicated. They weren't necessarily controlled by any kind of you know um, CBS, ABC, any of the, any of the um, big corporations, that kind of thing, which. Eventually made it a lot of fun trying to figure out when the show was on, yeah. <laughs> if it was going to be on. Right. If you're, because I can remember going to websites and going, is it still on in the Atlanta area? When is it on in the Atlanta area? What what channels got it? Oh, UPN at like one in the morning. Yes. Okay, I'm going to be up at one in the morning watching this thing, and 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 there was always this frantic back and forth. When is it going to be on? <laughs> because you never knew if it was going to last. No, that yeah, that's my favorite story about trying to see this. By the fourth season, when everything was hitting the fan, you know, the big finale of the Shadow War, it was coming on at like four or five o'clock in the morning on some local Atlanta channel, and so I was recording it on VHS, and then I would get up to go teach my classes in the Atlanta area. And I would grab that videotape and take it with me in my bag. And there was like a 45-minute break where the students, because I was teaching college classes at, at local high schools in, in Rockdale County, and there'd be a 45-minute window or so where they'd be at lunch. And I would get in that classroom while they were at lunch, and I'd get the big TV VCR rolling stand, you know, yeah, and I'd have Babylon Five, the latest episode playing, and I would just be, you know, totally focused on it. And they would all come in from lunch and be like, "Oh, Plexico's watching that show again." <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember people would figure out when the satellite downloads were going to be mm-hmm. and intercept the satellite downloads, so they'd get the they'd get the episode with the big uh, blue spaces in it where the commercials are supposed to fit in. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And and it was just it was just interesting. That I think to to be honest, that was one of the reasons that that it developed the kind of fan base it had is because you had to hunt to find it. Mm-hmm. And so that made you even more passionate about trying to get it. You Absolutely. wanted this little thing that was different than what you'd seen before to survive. Yeah. And so you'd be going, hey, you, you like science fiction. You need to start watching this show. <laughs> we were we were so evangel- evangelical for it, you know. I mean, we were pushing it on everybody all back then. I mean, you're right. I mean, we had to work for it, and that made you appreciate it more. But it was worth it because if it had been terrible, we wouldn't have – or even mediocre, we wouldn't have worked for it, you know. So right. it was just a perfect little combination. I, I was just thinking about when you said how we started out viewing the first episode, the, the, the pilot, the gathering. I, I can remember the – because I, I don't even remember either. I remember watching it, and I remember watching it with a friend at the time, and I, I must have seen a couple of commercials that was coming on. But, yeah, it, it must have made enough impression, the commercials, that I tuned in, um, went out of my way to watch it. And I remember that. I remember thinking, oh, there's this new space-based science fiction thing. I probably need to watch that. And I remember, like, the first half of it, the first half of the pilot movie, thinking nothing but comparisons to Star Trek and I'm ashamed to say that now but you know in, on February 22nd 1993 that's how your brain worked if you were a science fiction fan watching TV right. and so I remember the first hot half of it thinking oh what's up with these uniforms oh they're little communicators on their hands that's kind of dopey and then by the <laughs> and by the second hour I remember thinking, like exactly what you said, there's a story here. There's stuff going on. There's this big history. There's this backstory. They totally had me hooked. Uh, I meant 1990. Yeah, it was 93, wasn't it? Yeah, okay. Yeah. It was 93. Um, I I remember thinking um, there's a backstory. There's a history. There's a depth to this. 
stuff has happened. You know, it's not just we created a Starfleet. Now let's go have an adventure. It's there's been war. You know, there's a Psychor. There's a I don't know if we saw that in the first episode. But yeah, we did no. with 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 uh, with Lita. Oh, with Lita, right? Yeah. There's all these things. You know, these institutions, and there's this backstory that Star Trek never really gave you, or at least not up front. You know. You kind of had to piece piece things together over time with Star Trek, you know, like so. The funny thing was, is looking back on it, we didn't know what we were in for. No, we had no idea. We figured it was going to be like Star Trek. It was going to be these episodic things, and there there wouldn't be a whole lot of carryover between them. And um, I I watched the whole series, then I watched a little bit of Crusade, and then I never really watched it again for what uh, almost fifteen years. Mm -hmm. I, I let it rest. And then I had some friends who were living with me, and they had never seen B5. Hmm. And one of them had, had watched the first few episodes but found the, found the acting not to be that interesting, had a hard time getting into it. Mm-hmm. So I convinced them to sit down and watch it. And we re- re-watched the whole series from beginning, from, from, from the beginning to the end. Um, we watched about two episodes a night, four nights a week. And one of the things that really surprised me is how how early in the series the foundation starts getting set for the overarching story. Oh, yeah. I mean, really early, like first episode. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, I didn't remember it starting that soon. And I'm getting giddy because <laughs> I know where some of this stuff's going. <laughs> exactly. And I'm, I'm, like, excited to see this thing again for the next time. And I, I, was, I was also worried about it. I was worried about watching... B5 again because I was afraid, well, what if it doesn't hold up? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's lots of things that I used to like that I go back and watch them again and I they, they just really don't hold up. They're not as good anymore. And that ruins my memory. That's probably the reason I didn't watch it for a long time. Right. My friends really liked it. They really enjoyed it. They enjoyed a lot of the characters. They loaded, they got into a lot of the character development. Um, they uh, uh, they liked the, the developing relationships between all these characters. And I watched it going, oh, my God, it's as good as I remember it. I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I watched it um, when it first aired on P10, and then TNT had the fifth season. And, I, and then I believe it re-aired fairly soon after on the Sci-Fi channel, and I, wa- and I recorded it when it did that. And I, so I watched it as it aired on the Sci-Fi Channel, and then I watched the recording. So I saw the entire series through three times within the first two or three or four years. And I haven't watched more than an episode here or there ever since. So I've been doing like you did and waiting because I saw it so um, – you know, we were doing stuff like we were doing the Babylon 5 live action role play at Dragon Con back then. I was very immersed in it, in other words. And so I was so heavily immersed in this show while it was on and for the two or three years after it was on that I needed to just kind of get away from it. It was my it was my number one obsession from about 1990, eh, probably by the second season, by 90 from 95 through about 2001. <laughs> and so I needed to get away from it. So I've let it sit for about 12 years now, and I'm going to go back, I think, and watch it again now that the 20th anniversary has rolled around. But um, it was an amazing show. I mean, it, it, it was different than anything that ever – now, there's other shows that do things like it now. Now, but, yes. But at the time, it was very unique. It, I mean, it, it did the stuff like Lost has done, like Battlestar Galactica has done, but it did it all 10 years, 15 years before <laughs> before they did it, didn't it? 
I'm sorry. The Skype lost it for a minute. <laughs> oh, okay. The I, it it did so many things that, that, that shows now try to do, but it was well, the first to do it. Right. The the well, it it was it was one of the first really strong from the beginning moves away from episodic show episodic shows that have loose ties between character development to you're going to start watching this show. And you're gonna you're gonna peg all these characters with certain stereotypes, and by the end of the series, they're not gonna be the same people. That's right. Jakar, Jakar. The, when I saw Jakar in the Gathering, I went, I don't like that character. He is the typical alien bad guy. He's the Klingon. By the yes, by the end of the series, Jakar is my favorite character that has ever existed. Yes. <laughs> I know. Um, warrior becomes priest, priest becomes warrior. No one here is exactly what he appears to be. Yes. <laughs> oh man. And the funny thing is, is you can you can see that in him from the beginning though, when he's talking to Catherine Sakai, mm-hmm. you know, telling her about the walkers at Sigma nine five seven. What was that? You know, his his he's got that that existential philosophy in him, and he can bring it out. But he's so at that point, he's so full of hatred for the Centauri. Yeah. That he keeps turning into this villain that you don't like when he's like that yeah so. it, it takes the bigger events of the war to kind of put him in a position to realize the sacrifices that he and his people have to make and it's really heartbreaking right to watch it yeah it's amazing um yeah and londo and when you first see him he's a clown he's the buffoon and and becomes the, almost the villain who saw that coming in the first no, couple I, of episodes i did and it's it's funny because you like him. Yeah. You like him. You know he's he you know he's that likable dirtbag. You yeah. know he's <laughs> yeah. he's that guy you wouldn't really trust. Mm-hmm. But he's charismatic, so you like him. And then when you see him getting caught up, he starts getting that taste of power, mm-hmm. and he gets caught up in this. And then he gets to the point where he realizes that he sold his soul, and he can't figure out how to get it back. Uh, yeah. Um. So. Yeah. Seeing a character that you care about. So trapped and with no way out is 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 another really sort of heartbreaking, tough uh, thing just to kind of endure as a as a viewer. It's so yeah, I mean, so much of the show is is so painful to watch, and I don't mean painful in a bad way. I mean painful in a good drama way. You know that you just it breaks your heart. You know, well, you you get to where you care about the characters. Yeah, I mean, and it's not just it's not just the the major characters. I mean, you know, I I like Zach. Yeah, I, I every time Zach would appear on the screen and, and, you know, he's sitting there and he's he's pining for Lita and you're like, would you just go talk to her? <laughs> you just come on. <laughs> and the one time that he does. <laughs> right. He picks the exact wrong moment to do it. In, he waits just too long in third space. <laughs> so. She's all hypnotized. Um, yeah. And the and the the mysteries that the show um swirled about us things like the shadows and the vorlons you know the it was interesting because we had the vorlons right in front of us the whole time and never quite put two and two together until i guess the third season and the shadows on the other hand it's kind of interesting because they were both the key components of the mystery but one is right out in plain sight and the other one is hidden and you spend so much time trying to figure out the one that's hidden that you don't completely appreciate what's going on with the one in plain sight you know right and, right. and and it was because I would argue that the the, the Vorlons ended up being as, at least as much of the villains of the of the show oh. as the as the shadows. They they definitely were. They definitely were, except except for the one. Except for yeah. You you, you had you had the the one Vorlon who who had been apparently been in in and among the 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 lesser races for too long and so 
he had compassion for them, whereas the other Vorlons did not seem to. Right, yeah. They were lords so, of order. Right. Um, you know, a couple of things about the show and how it was made, which make it even more miraculous that it that it happened. It was The whole thing was filmed in a hot tub factory in Los Angeles. That just continues <laughs> to make me laugh that they had got an old warehouse factory building off the interstate. And, um, you know, the only way you would have known that it was a – they were filming a science fiction show there instead of making hot tubs was if you drove up and there was a Narn sitting there smoking cigarettes in front of the front door or a cigar. Yeah, exactly. Um, because they made it under budget and on time. I mean, Straczynski had done other shows and he was determined to bring this show in on time under budget. And he did, they cut corners everywhere they could. The special effects were, it was, this was the first show to, to extensively use CGI, wasn't it? Right. To, to the to the degree that they did, yes, it was it was as far as I know, it was the first show. Yeah. Um, and it, it's it's interesting too because you can see the um as the, as the series goes on, you can see as they get more powerful computers and more computers to render mm-hmm. because you know when you first start out, the Star Furies are cool, but they're a little clunky the way they move, and then by the time you get to like like Severed Dreams. Yeah, you know they're just flying all over the place, doing these quick turns, and you know it's you, you can just see the 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 improvement in the special effects as the series goes on, um, and and that was one of the other things that I and to me that was the other one of the other things that pulled me into the series is it wasn't magical spaceships flying around like like you know uh, three dimensional uh, navy going ships or like uh, you know giant aircraft carriers in space it was. You know, hey, we have to obey the laws of physics here. We, uh, to a degree, mm-hmm. you know, we have to we have to bleed off our thrust. We turn in such a way. The Star Furies were one of the things that really appealed to the to the the hard science in me. I watched them and I went, "That's a cool fighter." Well, then it's ne- not these it's not these airplanes turned into X wings things out of Star Wars. Yeah. Well, the, the NASA people loved that about it too. I mean, they liked it. So it was a big favorite, you know, among the astronaut types and all that. So, the, um, yeah, I, I just I, every time I look at Babylon Five now, I think what it could have looked like. Because they did such a great job with what they had. I mean, you know, you got to make an emperor's palace on a on a tiny budget. You just hang gauzy, you know, uh, sheets of cloth everywhere, and there you go. Right. Um, and put a little gold stuff around, you know. Yeah, exactly. They, they, it was like it's almost like a soap opera how they'll just make the set look as close to what they need to as they can. But imagine if they'd had the Star Trek money resources, you know, or even Bab- uh, Battlestar Galactica, what the show would have looked like. It just makes you think, God, good grief. But is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because if you if you if you start spending too much money on that on that on the sets and things, that could become your primary focus. I've seen lots of yeah. movies that had lots of money that were crap. Well, that's you know, true. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if you, if you, if you, uh, if you, if you, uh, adjust for quality, in other words, we say we, we know the quality will stay the same, but think how it could have looked if it had a little more resource, just yeah. because it would have pulled more viewers in. I think, I mean, that was, that was always one of the handicaps for the show was that it never got the popularity that it deserved in part because people there were people that were not willing to look past the superficialities. Well, there there are lots of people who don't look look at it too and go it's not Star Trek, it's oh, not Star Wars, I'm not interested. <laughs> my fa- <laughs> my favorite uh well, my favorite story. There's so many convention stories, you know, from this show. I've, I've 
I've seen, I've met most of the cast and including, and, and Straczynski and everything at conventions. And I've heard all these stories. And I think my favorite one along the lines you just mentioned is when Straczynski said that, uh, um, he said that uh, when it first the first like the first few episodes had aired, and a woman came up to him at a convention and said, "You know, I I want to like your show, but it's just so implausible that I can't watch it." And he says, "Well, what about it? You know, what about it is implausible? You know." And she said, "Well, it's been already firmly established that in the future, personal communicators will be worn as lapel pins and not on your hand." Really? <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> Is that a real story? That's that a, just, no, that's... I did. I did not make that up. <laughs> I, wow. Maybe JMS made it up, but he told that story. Right. So I've heard a million stories like that. I mean, it, that's that's the kind of stuff the fans would say to them, and it just drove them crazy. The cast, the crew. Well, you know, you're talking about the quality of the sets and things like that. In some ways, that though, that makes it more similar to the original Star Trek, where they would throw together sets. You know, it's obvious that they didn't put a lot, they didn't have a lot to work with <laughs> to make the sets in the original Star Trek. They had the drapes hanging over things yeah. kind of look sometimes. Now, that was one of my favorite jokes so. about the old Star Trek, was somebody said, oh, look, on this episode of Star Trek, the budget was running low, so they're in, they're, they're exploring a planet that looks like Greg Brady's bedroom. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so... um you know, another since we're talking about just generalities here about the show and everything, the I loved how the opening credits changed every season. It, it seems like most shows try really hard to keep the same consistent look to keep pulling viewers back, but I think in the long run it makes people kind of tired of it. But Babylon Five is the first and the only show I can think of that changed the entire opening credit sequence every year. Well, the, the opening credits set the tone for the series, the season that was coming on, and some of them were. Were te- the opening credits were teasers in in yeah. season was it season three season three you're sitting there looking at it and it goes oh the Star Fury shooting at another Star Fury what <laughs> yeah and it failed you know where Susan Susan Ivanova does the voiceover and she says the Babylon Project was our last best hope for peace which is how they opened the first you know two seasons right. and then she goes it failed but in the year of the Shadow War it became something greater our last best hope for victory and then you think wow and they changed the year you know each each season of the show was a year of real time right and they would mention that at the beginning and then i love i think for all the bad we can say about season 5 the opening credits of season 5 are worth watching just by themselves as like a greatest hits of the series you know and and they break it down by year yeah so i i, I just love that the, the music the opening credit the you know, the 2258, 2259, 2260, 2261. You know, my, my friends actually like season five better than season four. That's just crazy they, talk. Well, but you know, <laughs> I, I can understand why. I've never heard anybody well, else say that, so tell when, me. When we, when we were watching season four, mm-hmm. we it was constantly under the shadow, will there be a season five? Mm-hmm. And to them, their comments on season four was it felt very rushed. Well, that's the truth. There's no doubt about it that. It felt very rushed. Things happened very quickly to resolve a bunch of storylines. Mm-hmm. And they, I think they liked season five because they got back into more some more personal stories. And it, it actually started illuminating to, to uh, some of the world around um, uh, Babylon 5 itself. Like, like yeah. I, know, I know when a view, to, uh, uh, a view from the gallery, mm-hmm. is that right? Yeah. Came out. I can remember you hated that episode. <laughs> you hated that episode. A lot of people hated that episode. Why do we need to see that episode? I'm like, thank you for that episode. That was great because we got to see everything from a different perspective, and that was kind of nice, I thought. Okay, well, here's my thought about that because you're absolutely right, but my opinion changed over time. When it first aired, 
that's the episode, for those who don't remember, that was the episode with the two janitors, which is kind of funny to think they're sci-fi janitors because those are the two guys at Dragon Con now, the Bob and Carl, the sci-fi janitors, actually started on Babylon 5. But you had the two sci-fi janitors on Babylon 5, and everything was from their point of view. I didn't like it at the time because I was totally into the arc, the story arc, and I wanted more story arc, more story arc, more bang episodes. And so a whole episode, it just felt like a wasted week to me. Now, going back and watching it like I did later, the whole thing straight through, when I could just go right ahead to the next episode, then it was fine because then I could just take it for what it was and then just fast forward to, or, you know, as soon as it was over, zip right on to the next episode. But that, but that episode reveals things about characters that would have been difficult to reveal in any other way. And I argue that it works with the arc. Okay. <laughs> I, it's been a long time since I've seen it, so I can't I can't tell you. A sp- yeah, I saw it last year, and that was one of the episodes I was waiting for to come along to to, to, to watch it again, especially since I was watching the the series the way it was, and I I liked it. I like still liked it a lot. Well, you know, so. there, there there are some definitely some good standalone episodes in season five. I mean, the one that Neil Gaiman wrote, Day of the Dead, I think is one of the yeah. better ones. I love that episode, and you you get to you get some flashbacks to some of the characters you haven't seen in a while, which is kind of fun. Um, now. Uh, what is it? Gray thirteen, gray seventeen is missing. That's still crap. Yeah, <laughs> there, there's a handful of episodes from across the entire five years that you could just toss in the trash. I mean, I, I think Infection is the one that Straczynski said he wished he could just kind of like lose the the master tape, you know, or whatever, drop it in the ocean or something. But the that's the one with the the guy becomes the war machine. Yeah, yeah. Um. That's got that's got some stuff in it that's kind of necessary though. Yeah, probably would have been better if it just didn't devolve into a giant monster movie. Yeah, yeah, it turns into Space 1999 second season. Right, but uh, <laughs> which which is usually I would say that in a good way, but here <laughs> I mean it in a bad way. Um, uh, I think, and for, for for the listeners out there, I think that what we're planning on doing, Bobby and I are going to go back uh, uh, over time over the next maybe couple three four months if we can, and and sort of look at the individual seasons, which should be fun. So that's why we're not touching on quite as many specifics this time as we could. But we're going to kind of dig through it in, in more depth uh, as we go along, maybe. But um, I did want to mention something about a, the bigger picture, because you were talking about the changes because of the fifth season, you know, that the fourth season was rushed and everything. And not everybody... It felt rushed. The claim is not that it wasn't rushed, but it felt rushed. Oh, it was definitely rushed. He can say whatever he wants to say, but we know the truth, because... <laughs> Here's, well, because here's what happened. I mean, there's a lot of filling episodes in season five. It seems like, <laughs> and they would have been spaced out through season four, but instead you get all the action in season four, and then all the spaced out episode, you know, the spacing episodes in season five. Well, here's for for the listeners that don't know, real quick. Here's what happened, and you you correct me or add anything you want to, but let me kind of run through how it played out. Uh, what happened was it was on P10, this sort of conglomerate syndicated network of shows, the first four seasons, and that was coming to an end. And so it looked as if the show was going to end at the end of season four. Of course, Straczynski's big plan was for the show to run five years. And so he had written all the arcs out, at least in general outlines, to end at the end of season five. So what he had to do, he had set up both the Shadow War and the Earth War with, with President Clark. And so originally what would have happened would have been that the Shadow War would have taken up most of season four. There had just been more build up to it. And it wouldn't have been over with in I think what the fourth episode or Yeah, it was six. it was very quick. It's either fourth uh, or sixth. It was into the fire was the wrap up. It was four oh six, yeah. And then 
you go from that straight into the Earth War, which also wraps up at the end of season four. And originally what would have happened is there's an episode there's an episode kind of midway through season four where Sheridan is captured and is being held by Clark's forces and being like drugged and interrogated. That was going to be the season four finale. And the cliffhanger would be what happens to Sheridan. He's, you know, he's trapped uh, with the bad guys. That would have been the end of season four, and so you would have gotten the big finish of the Earth War and President Clark like early midway through season five. But instead, they had to squeeze the Shadow War into the first four or five episodes of, of the season four and then immediately resolve the Earth War before the end of season four. And then they had, you know, they had also already filmed Sleeping in Light, which was the series finale. So they took the series finale and put it on the shelf for a year and filmed a new season four finale, The Deconstruction of Falling Stars. And that's one that's very popular, by the way. I was going to say, and and the best thing to come out of this, are we going to have a season five thing, was The Deconstruction of Falling Stars. I love that episode. I yeah. think that episode's great. I know a lot of people really love that episode, including me, yeah. That's the one where they sort of jump ahead years and years and years into the future and look back. And it's a nice little kind of a meta you know, episode where you sort of see – what all uh, becomes of things down the road a little bit. There's, uh, you get kind of a post-apocalyptic part. You get a computer simulation part. You get a, a critique of the media and commentary, right? Right. Um, so, and then you kind of get a little teaser of like a million years from now or something. So um, that's all where you get the sense that the that Earth goes off to be like the Vorlons or something. So Humanity, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, and so that what, but what that meant was that doing season five, they'd already resolved all the big storylines for the most part from the first four seasons. All they really had left was Psychor. So you get way more Psychor episodes and telepath episodes at the beginning of season five than you normally would have. Um, and you get some sort of standalone episodes that would have been more scattered out through four and five. You kind of get them all clumped together there. And then you get the second half of season five, which I thought was was pretty good. Once you get the telepaths out of the way, that was not that was kind of a disappointment uh, to me. But <clears throat> the second half of season five, I thought was very good because it was the picking back up on the leftover shadows tech, the drop, what happens to Londo uh, and Lita and Lita. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. The Sheridan pointing the gun at <laughs> Lita's head that was in the wheel of fire. That was a. Um, that was a, a fun moment. Um, but yeah, so that all changed the story pretty dramatically. Well, you you know, ha- having watched all of season five, one right after the other over a period of about a week and a half, eh, probably a little longer than a week and a half, the telepath stuff. I remember, I remember being very anxious with the telepath stuff, the the Byron uh, arc, and not enjoying it that much. It actually was much better on a second viewing. Hmm. Because it's really not that many episodes. To me, remembering back, it was like, was that like 12 episodes? It felt like 12 episodes. It's really not that many episodes, and it's really more about Lita. Mm. And it's really interesting watching it again because you realize that Lita is slowly moving towards becoming a tragic figure. Mm. And it's partly because no one will pay attention to her or, or will treat her like all a little afraid of her because not only is she a telepath. She's telepath. It's been modified by Vorlons. And so they're all kind of pushing her away, except for Zach. And he tries to bring her back in, but it just ends up not working, mm-hmm. you know. 
and and partly because of Byron, and that that starts leading her along this path where she would become uh, uh, kind of a tragic figure. I, I I think especially if you go through the novels with what happens with her, because her story resolves in the novel. Yeah, yeah, that's and and um, it's also fascinating to realize that um, that would have been Ivanova. Yes. Yeah. I just can't imagine Ivanova in that because she's so strong and independent. No, she. I. I don't. I don't see Ivanova working in that at all. I, I. I. Well, okay. I can see that you could do that story with Ivanova, but the dynamic between Ivanova and Byron and all that stuff would have been different. You would have. Yeah. Had, you it had. We would have had a different feel. I think. Ivanova is more like a drill sergeant, whereas Lita is right. vulnerable. I just couldn't imagine Ivanova being all mushy gushy, and and if she was. It, the, the actor that played Byron, I thought he worked for Lita's kind of boyfriend or whatever, but not for not for Ivanova's. You'd have needed somebody more commanding and charismatic to really, I think, capture her uh, devotion. You know, he just didn't strike me as somebody that Commander Ivanova would have given the the time of day. Yeah. So, um, plus you had the whole thing with Marcus. Well, I guess they would have said that the thing with Marcus made her more vulnerable or something. That'd have been kind of one. Well, it would have probably made her more because because see, remember at the end, she's like she's like you know, I refused to open up and therefore I lost Marcus mm-hmm. and nothing ever happened. So you rebound from that and suddenly the first person, woo, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not letting this pass up pass by. So yeah, right. Well, that makes sense. But I you know I I want to mention the other the other big sort of change that happened in the series that um, affected the storyline tremendously. And one that hasn't been talked about, I think, in depth very much is that um, it was funny to me how at the end of season one, Straczynski set up possible trap doors for basically every major character to leave the show. And the, the, to me, the funny thing was the one that he did the least getting him getting ready to get rid of is the one that ended up leaving, which was Sinclair. And, of course, that was sort of a network decision in conjunction with JMS. They kind of made a joint decision to find somebody maybe more appealing or more charismatic or more of an action hero or something. And I understand that. I, I appreciate the character of Jeffrey Sinclair and Michael, o, the late Michael O'Hare's interpretation of him more after the fact. But at the time I was not a huge Michael O'Hare fan and I can enjoy it for what it is now. And I thought he was great when he came back on the show in season three, I thought in that, yeah. in that role as like a holy man, he was very good. But as the commanding figure, he 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 never seemed completely plausible to me. So Sinclair leaves the show. He goes to the to to uh, the Minbari to, to Minbar to be the Earth ambassador there, and ends up becoming Ranger One, basically, if I recall correctly, and yes. recruiting people like Marcus. And so you bring in Sheridan. Now, of course, that changes the immediate dynamic of the show because Bruce Boxleitner is a very likable smiling Johnny. <laughs> He's a <laughs> He's a more likable, dynamic, charismatic, tough guy of a leading man, and I thought, you know, he just did a spectacular job. But for the story, though, uh, this is what I think is fascinating: is that if you keep Sinclair on there and not bring in Sheridan ever, then Anna Sheridan's character is Catherine Sakai, correct? Right. Catherine Sakai. And they'd already been set. They'd already been kind of setting that up, exactly. foreshadowing that. Right. She went to Sigma Nine Five Seven, et cetera, et cetera. So basically, what would have happened was we'd have come back at the first episode of season two. Sinclair would have married, or have already married Sakai, or they would get married, and then she'd go off on her expedition and never come back. So he's right. just married her, and she's gone. 
And of course, what happens is she finds the shadows, the shadows, and she gets put into a shadow ship. So that would have been Catherine Sakai, not not uh, uh, Anna Sheridan. And then Sinclair would have first won the shadow war. What Sheridan does, Sinclair would have won the shadow war, would have led all the races to victory in twenty two sixty one. And then he would have gone back in time and won the first Shadow War. Oh, you think that's the way it would have gone? I mean, well, I mean, I, I've often wondered what the how they would do beef, beef, the B four storyline if Sheridan was still there. Sinclair, Sinclair. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, don't you think? I mean, because they've been setting up all along that Sinclair was Valen. That's true. They had been setting that up from the beginning. So he had to go back. He always went back. Well, see, I, I, I'm glad that they did it the way they did it, though, because yeah. it actually works better, I think. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's what it, it, it'd been harder to swallow the other way. Exactly. That's what JMS said was he said Sinclair's story is the Minbar Valen story. And he said giving him the shadow story was a, probably a bit too much for one character. Yeah. So you get Sheridan to be the shadow character. In other words, to, to have the wife who becomes a shadow slave, basically, and to deal with the shadow war and and all of that. And then you have Sinclair to go back and be Valen. But yeah, I think that instead of, um, I think that sleeping in light instead of ending with, um, I think that that's why war without end one and two happened when it did. I don't think it originally was supposed to happen there. I think that, uh, you wouldn't have even gotten war without end in season three. And what would have happened was you'd have gotten all the way to sleeping in light. And instead of going off to go beyond the rim with, he'd Laurie, go back, he'd go back. Yeah. Right. That would have been the end of the series right there. Bang. And that would have been pretty cool. That would have been neat, but I, I think it would have been too much for one character. Mm-hmm. So um, it's funny you were talking about, you know, you didn't like Sinclair as much as you like Sheridan. I think most people feel that way. I actually like I like Sinclair a lot, mm-hmm. and I liked him a lot watching it the second time. My friends had a lot of trouble, I think adapting to Sheridan. They really liked Sinclair and for it, it took a while for Sheridan to grow on them. Hmm. So yeah, I liked Sheridan from the minute he we saw him on the Agamemnon. I just thought, oh, we finally got a, a leading man here, the commander that's that's somebody uh more likable. I mean because Sinclair was cerebral. He was he was interesting. I mean I totally get why you would cast him because he was an interesting guy. But see here's the thing. With, with with Sinclair, with Michael O'Hare's portrayal of Sinclair, when he was pensive, when he was thinking about things, when he was torn, when he was uncertain, I thought he was very interesting. But, yes. But when he was trying to step up and be the commanding figure, I thought he was not as plausible. He was more a guy of the mind than an action guy, it seemed to me, whereas Sheridan was kind of able to do both to a certain degree. Right. Um. Yeah, I I don't know. I I they're they're different characters to me, of course. And um I don't know. I I liked Sinclair because I don't know, it it felt like there was a depth to him that I never really saw in Sheridan. Sheridan was all right out there in front of you. That's true. So Well, Sher- um, Sheridan was the guy to turn to like the homilies and so forth, right? I mean, he was more emotion. He's like, right. "Well, my dad said, you know, don't start a fight, but always end it." He was that kind of guy. Whereas Sinclair would have been like what should we do here? You know, what would be wise in this situation? You know, he was more, more um, considering of things and less just kind of visceral emotion. You know. Well, ultimately, I'm glad we got both characters, and and I'm really glad that shared uh, that Sinclair had the story arc that he did. 
the the Valen story arc. Mm. I, I I don't like time travel in in <laughs> shows. I that's one of the reasons I really don't later day Star Trek. Um, but the Babylon Four time travel stuff was fantastic because it wraps itself up, it goes on, and it tells a very interesting story that solves a mystery. Yeah. So. Yeah, and they, it's funny because they came back. They had done Babylon Squared in season one to kind of just – that episode was nothing but, ooh, here's some stuff for you to think about, you know? Right. It wasn't really an entire story by any means, but it was an, it was just like, oh, look at this stuff. Think about this. And then they came back, you know, two years later, right, at the end of <laughs> – toward the end of season three, and they had to recreate the sets, recreate the costumes. Uh, Tim Choate had to come back and remember how to do that character of Zathras, who's one of my favorite characters ever, by the way. I love Zathras. And um, and they really did kind of seamlessly, and with the addition of a new character, with Sheridan, right? They had to wrap right. it. And Marcus. They uh, they brought it back around. So very impressive. Yeah, you know, mentioning Zathras, when we've talked about Sinclair and, and Jakar, has – I it's kind of sad we're never going to have that Babylon 5 the motion picture moment because this show has lost so many people. Ah, it's unbelievable. Richard Biggs and I mean a lot of a lot of the the main characters from the TV show are gone. Well, let's kind of see so, who, who who's the list. We, we lost uh first we lost Richard Biggs and Andreas Katsalas and then Tim right. and then Tim Choate, Zathras, or Jeff Conaway. And then Jeff Conaway and then Michael O'Hare. Michael O'Hare. Wow, that's at least five right there. Yeah. So it is. I mean, I don't think we ever would have gotten the the movie like you're saying, but right. it, it's it's kind of sad to know we can't. Right. Of course, that's that's the one thing about Babylon Five, though, to me, and it's probably the reason that I never could quite get into any of the follow-on stuff. Mm-hmm. It is a story. It runs to its end, and then it's over with. Yeah. It's done, and a lot of times when you start. Writing new stories in the Save Universe in a place like that, it starts kind of, for me anyway, it it can, unless you do it just absolutely perfectly, lessen the original story. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've, that's one of the reasons I've started shying away from sequels and things of that nature is because sometimes I like what I've seen so much. I, 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 it's done. It's enough for me. Let's move on to something new. Well, I think that the strength of Babylon Five it had many strengths, but the the the, the absolute if if you made a pyramid of all of its strengths, the top piece is that it was this one big long epic. It's like I, I used to say it's not a TV series like Star Trek. It's a mini series like Shogun or Roots that just runs for five years. Yeah, five years. Yeah, it's just a really long mini series. And that tells one big story. And so what happens is when you do it in any other way, in an, in a small way, even a two hour movie, it's just not the same. It's, you know, it, it's, it's like if you ha- it's like if what you love is a 10 volume novel series, then reading a short story is nice, but it's not the same. Yeah. And so, you know, crusade had the potential in my view to be something different and and almost equally epic, but it wasn't allowed to do that. We'll talk about it in a future episode because I dearly love Crusade, and I've been heartbroken for 14 years now about that stinking show. But everything else that they try to do, Legend of the Rangers, the Untold Tales DVD, all that other stuff, the little short stories that he published, all that other stuff failed for me 
mostly because it could not be a five-year gigantic epic, and that's just the nature of it. It it couldn't be that. Yeah. So. Just it was just filling around the edges. Yeah, yeah, and and again, that's nice. It has its place. It's nice to read a little story about what happens to Ivanova or what happens to Lita or something, but it's not the same. And so. Um, and the little untold tales are just little short stories. They're nice little bits with those characters, but it's not the same as getting five years of crusade. So, you know, right. um, so I don't know what JMS is doing now. If we'll ever get anything else like this from him, he's basically said, this is the thing that, you know, will be on his tombstone, be his epitaph that he, you know, he was the daddy of Babylon five. And, and that's certainly well-deserved. He's, he's gone on to do comics and he directed, uh, that Ron Howard, no, Ron Howard directed the movie. He wrote the, the um, what's it called? The with Angelina Jolie got an Oscar nomination. You know what I'm talking about? That wasn't Ron Howard. That was Clint Eastwood, The Changeling. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. The I, I was wondering if that was what you were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so he's done some other things, including at least one fairly prestigious thing, but he hasn't shown much inclination to go back and revisit Babylon Five. He we we did get the series of paperbacks and we can talk about those later on too but um we got two series of paperbacks actually the dell ones then the del ray um but i asked him i saw him at heroes con in charlotte a few years ago and i just the first and only time i'd ever met him and i waited in line two hours one day to ask him this question and then he never showed up because they gave him it wasn't his fault but he didn't show up they told him the wrong time or something so the next day i waited in line two more hours and I was like the last person to get to see him, and he was packing up. But he was very gracious to stay the whole time, see everybody. And I said to him, after the preliminaries, I said, I love Crusade, and I'm just wondering if we're ever going to get the rest of that story. And he kind of frowned and looked around uncomfortably a little bit, and he says, well, that was done for a TV show, and the TV show's gone and so, uh, you know, and I said, so we're, you, I said, so we're never going to, I said, so you, you're not, I said something like, you're not going to do novels or a comic book or get Peter David to write it or something. And he goes, well, it was done for a TV show and you know, it's kind of done. And I said, so we're never going to get to find out what happens to Gideon or Galen or, uh, Matheson. And he kind of hemmed and hawed around and it was like very negative. And I was just, I came away from that very bummed. Because, you know, if you love Babylon 5, you got that whole story, even though he had to kind of fudge it in a few places to make it work over five years. But for Crusade, you know, we may never know what what was going to happen with all of that. And that's yeah, that just is very sad to me. So, but I guess you can't have everything. <laughs> yeah, and well, think about it. Think about how much effort he put into Babylon 5. I mean, he's got the what Guinness Book World Record thing for most consecutive tv shows written by one author or something like that oh yeah i mean that's a that's a lot of work he wrote like what the, the second half of season two all of three all of four and five all the way up until the what the the, the neil gaiman episode the neil gaiman episode yeah so good heavens so so that's a that's a that's a lot of work and 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 <laughs> somebody might not want to commit to that again oh i i understand that <laughs> well he he did though he made the choice it wasn't his choice to kill crusade so it was tnt damn them to hell for all of eternity so um <laughs> but they know drama um they know anyway, wrestling sorry um the uh <laughs> oh yeah that's that's one of the things about season one though in particular that 
sometimes puts people off is that a number of season one episodes, even though JMS kind of did a rewrite on some of the scripts to make them fit the larger story arc, I think Larry DeTilio and a couple of other, maybe DC Fontana got one in there and, and she got a couple, I think. Yeah. So there's, and they're not bad writers by any means, but one of the strengths of Babylon five is that single unified voice that you get from Straczynski writing the vast, you know, balance of the series. And so, you know, there are some episodes, particularly in season one, that kind of feel different. They don't quite feel like the rest of the series. The 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 boxing one for t- particular to me was kind of a low point. TKO. Yeah. TKO. Yeah. Anything that Dottilio did always gave it kind of a a quirky sci-fi flavor. Like he came up with the Jovian sunspot, which makes no sense and just doesn't seem like something Straczynski ever would have done. The, the vicar, the guy that was a robot with a robot head or whatever, that was a Dottilio thing. That just didn't seem like anything Straczynski would have given us. It just wasn't serious. But that did come into play, though, or it was going to come into play because that was going to be uh, – you always got the feeling that was, a, that was a way to save Talia. Yeah, right. And then we lose her and eh, it doesn't matter. So, Well, um, let's see. As we, as we kind of move toward our conclusion uh, – what were some of your favorite uh, moments or things in general about the series that you look back now fondly? Oh, good grief. You'll probably have more um, time this than me because you just saw it. Wow. Um, oh, well, all of Severed Dreams. Um, oh, yeah. I, I think I think that that, uh, that whole line that Delenn has, you know, the and I can only paraphrase it, the only the only uh, Earth Alliance captain to destroy a Mimbari ship is behind me. You were in front of me. Be somewhere else. Yeah. You know that 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 whole scene is just is just that whole episode is great. That episode is it's, 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 and it's such it, you just don't even see it coming either. It's like wow, the series just went this way. Yeah, Funnily. it's the dead it's the dead center of the series too. It's right in the middle of season three. And it's, I always say, it's where it goes from kind of Star Trek to being something completely never seen before on television. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it was, the, the series was very brave about changing directions and changing the characters. Yeah. So, um, there, and, and there are places where there, there's a few places where that's kind of sad. Like, you know, I really liked Marcus. Mm-hmm. And what happens to Marcus is, well, obvious he was looking for someone to sacrifice himself for all the way through the series mm-hmm. but it was sad to see him go because he was such a refreshing character yeah um, and you know there's little mini stories like that like with um oh why have i forgotten the character's name um the the warrior cast oh yeah the, um the sort of adversary that ends up wow why have i forgotten his name he's like one of my favorite characters but he's got that little mini mini arc where he where he you know his character changes and it's very important to the to the show mm-hmm. that he comes to the revelation that he comes to yeah um and he's been this he's been this thorn in everybody's side since he first appeared which i think was in the first season wasn't it i think maybe in that there was at least one episode where the mimbari are on the station kind of throwing their weight around a little bit so right yeah um so uh I don't know. I, there's, there's, there's too many things and none of them are coming to my head. Well, right you know, now. the thing that's interesting about Severed Dreams too, and what came after it was this seems like nothing now, but at the time, uh, the continuity that they showed visibly after that, for example, like you said, Delenn and the Mimbari ships show up at the end of Severed Dreams. Well, if this had been any show prior to Babylon five, 
you wouldn't have seen those Mimbari ships again unless they were needed for a story point. No, with Babylon 5, every exterior shot of the station that you get after Severed Dreams has those Mimbari ships orbiting the station, protecting it. Well, and then and later on when the 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 you know League of Non-Aligned Worlds becomes involved, you see Vari ships and yeah. you, see, you see all kinds of other race sh- racial ships out there that are patrolling that space, protecting the the station. Right. Well, and and by that time I was like, oh, I get it. That's what they're going to do. But that first episode after Severed Dreams, where you still see those ships there. It, it, again, it seems like such a little thing now, but it was such a signal that they're actually paying attention. They're actually keeping the continuity going. That if something happened in 311, well, then in 312, you still see that. Right. And it, it really struck me very profoundly that that was, that that was the case. Oh, Bester. There you go. I forgot Bester. <laughs> Bester is one of the best things in the, uh, in the series. Uh, Walter Koenig? Yeah, Koenig, Koenig. Right? Yeah, um, he he just makes an absolutely wonderful villain, and then later on you get these moments where it's like, wow, why do I feel sympathy for Bester in this scene? <laughs> I don't want to sympathize with him. I hate him. <laughs> but he's so entertaining and fun and everything. Yeah, I, I, Sheridan has that great line where he says, where Bester says he could do something, and Sheridan says, you could do that, and I could nail your head to the table, set it on fire, and <laughs> yeah. the charred remains the pockmara. <laughs> <laughs> they have great interplays between the two of them. Yeah, that was fantastic. Let's see, Bester did show up in season one, didn't he? So he actually yeah, has he, to interplay was, with Sinclair a little bit. Yeah, it was the um, uh, what mine, it wasn't mine or it was um, well, he showed up in the first episode. He's in the one with um, Ironheart. Yeah, that's Mind War. Oh, is that my okay? It's Mind War. Yeah. yeah. So that's and that's pretty early on. So wow, okay. Yeah, so he was on the show pretty much the whole. Uh, the whole run, and yes. and he, he and his story isn't really resolved until the um, the Psychor trilogy, which which uh, yeah. Greg yeah. Keyes wrote, and then um, uh, he actually was going to turn up in Crusade. Some there's an unpub there's an unproduced script for Crusade that had uh, that had him in it. That that would have been that would have been great. He he's like he's like one of the better villains that you don't ever want him actually actually to see him defeated or killed because you want you want that little menace out there yeah. running around. He was a little menace. <laughs> well, and the and the thing is is that when you when you start to get to know him a little bit more, he really believes in what he's doing. Yeah. Now, you know, so did probably a lot of Nazis, but <laughs> And that's basically what he's what JMS makes the psychor a bunch of Nazis, but yeah. Um, yeah, I guess my favorite things. Um, I, I I really liked uh, Talia Winters, and I hated her having to leave the show. Though they certainly gave her a, a you know, it's funny because the 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 I think her character arc would have been um, Nakamura, right? Wasn't that her name? The uh, Talia Tamlin Tamita. What was her name? Tamlin Tamita was the uh, um, maybe she she was the second in command before Ivanova, and she definitely had connections to the to the to the Psycor and to the bad guys. You could tell they were going to set her up to be what Talia, I think, later became, which is the person who betrays the. Um, well, I think she was supposed to be the person who ends up shooting um, uh, Garibaldi. Garibaldi, right? yeah, that and that, yeah, that would have been even more. So, uh, 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 Jack. So, I can't remember her name now. Anyway, but she was it was Tamlin Tamita, but 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 I don't remember the character. But yeah, she would have, um, yeah, and 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 I guess that would have been one of the 
cliffhangers at the end of season one is that she both you get sort of that uh, divided loyalties episode and you get what happens in chrysalis so yeah the show it's interesting to consider how the story would have been different with the different actors you know staying or going or whatever right um i thought that the the entire resolution of the shadow war was fantastic i know that a lot of people criticized it didn't think it was action enough or whatever but i thought it made perfect sense and fit with what had been set up to that point uh and so the beginning of se- the end of season three beginning of season four i think is just one of the high points in television history i, I just I, my jaw is on the floor for every bit of that you know from the moment that sheridan goes to zaha doom all the way until the um get the hell out of our galaxy <laughs> that whole yeah that whole bit is just that is right in my wheelhouse the big the big terry cosmic stuff I enjoyed that, but I actually enjoyed the um, the re- resolution or somewhat lack of resolution of all the Centauri politics that were going on with with the Emperor, yeah, and you know Morden on the planet and all that sort of stuff. That that, by the way, and I, I don't want to don't want to spoil this. The the Veer Morden um, <laughs> foreshadowing is probably about one of the best things in the in the series in the yeah. whole series. And so. you know, and that's another thing about season five that's kind of sad for me is that so many of the good characters are no longer on the show by season five that they really don't, he doesn't have his full complement of, of tools to work with. I mean, you know, you don't have Talia, you don't really have Morden around anymore. You don't have the Vorlons, the shadows and Kosh around anymore. But just, Morden shows up in season five. Well, I know he does, but I said, <laughs> I said sort of, but, uh, he is kind of limited in what he, you know, JMS was kind of limited in what he had to work with on an on an episode to episode basis in season five. So, well, and he had to introduce a whole new commander of the of the um, station, you know, Elizabeth Lockley in season five, and so they had to not only pick up a story, some sort of storyline, they had to start getting everyone used to Lockley, mm-hmm. and she just didn't have enough time to to become. A hugely memorable character. She's not really in as much of the of season five as I had thought she was when I rewatched it. Yeah. So. And you know, it's kind of a shame. I liked her. I liked her a lot. It's interesting because she would have been a fairly mid range character on Crusade. We would have seen more of her. She was in a couple of episodes, and and they went to Babylon Five at least twice, and that's in the thirteen episodes of that series. So we would have gotten more of her if that show had continued. And I think she was an interesting character. I can't remember. I know there was definitely a relationship between her and uh, Gary Cole's character. Weren't they married at one point? Was that what? No. What it was was that um, was married too. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Gideon meets her and is and they're kind of having a kind of halfway romantic thing. And he says something about the person I admire most, my hero, John Sheridan. And and she says something along the lines of like, "Oh, my ex husband." He's like, "What?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something along those lines. Yeah, John Sheridan. So. Um, yeah, because that was the great thing that was revealed to Straczynski that he didn't even realize, allegedly. This is another one of those quick convention stories that, um, you know, that somebody stood up in, at a convention and said to him, I wasn't at this when I heard this secondhand, that somebody said to him, you know, I, uh, it's, it, I like how everything is on Babylon 5, it happens in threes. And, and JMS is like, yeah, I was trying to do that, you know. And they said, especially Sheridan's wives. And, and he's like, well, what do you mean? And the person says, well, you know, he had the... He he first had the worker cast. No, he first had the military cast wife Lockley, and then he had the worker cast wife Anna, and then he had the religious cast wife Delenn. And JMS kind of blinked and said, "Dang, I'm smarter than I thought." <laughs> 
Wow, I didn't even know. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, like Everybody forgets Lockley was his wife, though, because that's just like a a shocking aside. Yeah. In 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 you know this thing to just kind of surprise you in one of the episodes. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, later on. So. And we've just spoiled it for everybody. <laughs> well, I figured, the show. I figured the show's been around for 20 <laughs> years as of Friday. So if you haven't watched it by now, uh, yeah, hearing our reminiscences was probably not the best place for you to start. You should watch the show and then listen to us That's talk true. about how great it was. All right. Well, I guess we're close to the end of our time here. Any last thoughts? We're, we, and like I said, I am looking forward to kind of going back in more detail in the future and kind of going maybe season by season, we can dig around into some of the good stuff in more detail. So we are not done with it yet, but any last general thoughts before we wrap up in celebration of the anniversary? Um, I, if you haven't seen it, give it a try. I mean, it's pretty easy to come across. Now the DVDs kind of stink because, because, because Warner brothers really did a bad job on putting them together. So there's lots of scenes, especially when they composite the special effects that are blurry and they don't need to be. And and I wish Warner Brothers would get off their butts and come out with you know updated Blu-rays or DVDs that have a, a better quality. But they definitely that's do that. Not going to ever happen. There's no excuse. They should need it. They need to put that out on Blu-ray like yesterday. Well, it's a, it, it seems to me they've put taken B5 and just put it in a closet and said, we're not ever going to look at this again. I mean, because it was filmed, right? <laughs> it's on film. It was filmed in like uh, in widescreen. It was they. Oh, yeah. He, they, they, they wanted it filmed that way because they knew that widescreen um, HD TVs were coming up. Mm hmm. The problem is, is that they didn't do the special effects in widescreen. If I if I remember yeah. re- what I was reading. Yeah. And then when they went and did the um, DVDs. When they composited back the special effects on the widescreen film, they did something to it to make it even worse. Because it didn't match something up. It didn't fit up or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're never going to go back and spend the money and the time to just redo the effects and everything. Oh, man, that would be great like they did with Star Trek. Yeah, exactly. I just can't see them doing I just don't think that they think there's a demand for it. No, no it would be a high, a very specialty item, I think. Yeah. So. Oh, well. Well, we've still got I mean, but part of the fun and the joy of Babylon 5 is knowing that it's kind of a low-budget thing and enjoying it for the story and the characters and not, you know, sweating so much about the effects and the sets and all that. So if if you demand the highest quality special effects and sets in your shows... And you're not, and you're not a story, a, a fan of story and character. Then stay away from Babylon Five. It's not for you. But if you love characters and drama and depth and and all that, and you can look past the superficialities, then this is your, this is right up your alley. I think so. Twenty years. Wow, it's hard to imagine. And uh, I feel so old. <laughs> This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.